Well, good morning and welcome to Blue Valley Baptist Church. We are so grateful that you are with us today and trust you've had a good morning already. There we go. Good morning. Welcome. Good to see you. Well, being a student pastor for almost 20 years uh, brought about the need at times to be creative. And one of the ways I was called on to be creative was to come up with icebreakers. As we constantly had new students coming into the student ministry, and as we often on steroids did that at camp where there were multiple groups, we had to have icebreakers to help students have the opportunity to get to know each other. So the first four words of the question that we often asked with that, what is your favorite? And three of the top questions were color, what's your favorite sports team, and what's your favorite element on the periodic table? Just kidding, not that last one. But it was neat to see students interact, get to know one another. It was really a great season of life, a great time. Well, at home, we also have our favorites. Not that you might think as far as restaurant or foods, that typically is not what the topic of conversation is. From age 4 to now 13, Ethan initiated a question nine years ago. Who is your favorite superhero? And so we began to talk about that, and over about two weeks, it wasn't just who's your favorite superhero, it's who's your favorite DC, and who's your favorite Marvel. And then we got into who's your favorite villain, DC, Marvel, and sometimes asking the question multiple times a day, really had to be a creative thinker with that as well. Well, as followers of Jesus, oftentimes we too engage in talking about our favorites. One of the common questions, what is your favorite scripture? Or what's one of your favorite passages? How is God teaching you in his word now? And by sharing that, we often express encouragement to one another as we reveal to those around us what God is doing through specific scriptures. In preparation for funerals, oftentimes, one of the first questions uh, that we ask families is, what was your loved one's favorite scripture passage. Now, if you've not shared that yet with your family members, I encourage you to do so to give them the ability to be able to express that and for that to be read in your services. Hopefully those won't take place tomorrow, but we know it could happen to any of us at any time, but I encourage you to express that. Well, this morning, the passage we're looking at is Jesus' favorite scripture passage. Okay, that's, that's a little bit misleading. Uh, Jesus never said he had a favorite scripture passage. But oftentimes in the New Testament when he was asked questions, he related to whoever was asking this passage. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, found in the Old Testament. At that point, the only testament outside of the living word who was Jesus. And so that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. If you have your copies of God's word, you can have those ready with Deuteronomy chapter 6. But before we begin, I'd like to pray for us. Let's pray together. So God, this morning we pray that as we continue with our hearts of worship, that you would continue to speak to us. Uh, God, this passage in particular has a great weight, opportunity in our lives to awaken us in some ways to you uh, that we honestly need to be awakened. And so God, I pray you would help us in these moments and that you would continue to speak directly to us. Uh, we're trusting you for all of that, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, I want to read that passage together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What's interesting in verse 4, the first word of that is here. Now to the Hebrews, the word here would have equated or been the same as the word obey. When they heard that and saw that, especially related to the Ten Commandments, which were given again just before this in the chapter preceding, as we saw in Exodus chapter 20, when those were actually given to Moses. And when he relayed those to the people of God at the foot of Mount Sinai, they would have understood in that moment, too, that their entire devotion to him would have grown and would have been raised at that point, and there was an awakening in their lives, even though, as we know, the Hebrews, Israel, struggled throughout their lives off and on to maintain consistent relationship with God because of all the things that came into their lives, and we can totally relate to that, that when we see the word here, we don't necessarily equate it to obey as they did, although we are called to obey God's word, not out of obligation, even though that may be part of it, but we do it because of our love relationship with him. And so the Israelites in this saw this, and they they, they saw the word here, and then they see the next phrase, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. So two truths flow from this. The first is they, in those moments, made a personal commitment to this God, the one and only true God. Relationally, that was a game changer for them as they followed, as they were his people, which bridged back to Abraham, which we spoke of a couple of weeks ago. So they made this personal commitment to him, which really changed everything. Their heart's desire to obey this God of the universe with whom they knew. Uh, The second, once again, that God was one, that he was unified in every way. There was no contradiction found in him then, and there is no contradiction found in him today. He is the one and true God, and that is who we follow. The fact alone that the creator of the universe wants a relationship with us personally should blow us away. And to give us a way to a relationship with Jesus coming, dying on the cross, raising again the blood of Jesus, covering our sin, giving us opportunity to know him, is really amazing. And our lives should flow from that. Continuing in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That is everything within us. Our all, our entire being is to scream out the same type of love to God that he has for us. This hesed love. I love you because I love you. That's God for us. We don't have to work for that. We don't have to earn it. He loves us. He created us because he loves us. Do we function in that way in our lives? Do we walk through life realizing that this God of the universe loves us so much in spite of ourselves? That we can experience what he's called us to, what he called the Hebrews to back then and today. Joy. How's your joy level? You ever see people who claim to follow Jesus that never crack a smile? 
never seem to experience this life-giving relationship, are never able to express it. And you just wonder for those individuals, where's the joy? You look all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's supposed to be there. And if we're vested in this love relationship with him, it's a natural outflow of who we are. How's your joy level today? If it's dependent on circumstances or where you are in your life, you're probably struggling. But if it's based in the person of Christ, you should be experiencing that and sharing that with others as you go, as I go. Verse 6, And these words that I command, you today shall be on your heart. Remember Psalm 119? It talks about how we're supposed to memorize God's word. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin against you. So when we don't memorize, when we're not vested in the word of God, what happens to us? We're filled with sin. We have no weapon to combat. And we struggle. And we're depressed. And life's awful. But as we memorize his word, as he transforms us from the inside out, heart, mind, life, we once again experience in him what he's called us to, a life of joy. How is he transforming your heart and mind? How long has it been since you shared your favorite passage of scripture with someone? The best definition I've ever heard on obedience, which my kids could quote it to you. Obedience is being, doing what you're told, when you're told to do it, with a happy heart. So if you're a parent and your kids are always responding in that way, pick up your clothes, take out the trash, mow the yard, scrub the floor, whatever it is. If they always respond in joy, really, I would love to talk with you. Um, <laughs> got great kids, but it's not always that response. In the same way, bosses, when you tell those employees who you're responsible for to do certain things in their jobs, when they do them and hit it out of the park, what does that bring to your life and heart? Not just for yourself, but for them. It brings joy because they're actually accomplishing what they're being asked to do. So think about this. When God instructs us, teaches us, when the Holy Spirit leads us and we respond to his voice in the way he's called us, what does that bring our God? Joy. And it brings to our lives fulfillment. Because we realize our purpose is greater than what most people understand and realize. We have God's word written on our hearts. We memorize it. We apply it. We obey to what he asks us to do. We are allowing the Holy Spirit to lead our lives if we know him, making a difference as a result. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Summary. All the time. And isn't it fascinating that the goal of parents has never changed from this passage to now? What's the greatest desire we have for our kids' parents, regardless of their age? That they so, fall so, so deeply in love with Jesus? That they're making such a difference on this planet that they're going relationally with him where we never have? That they actually grasp and get that God loves them no matter what. And that they live in that and walk in that and make a difference in that. Isn't that how we pray for our kids? 
that they far exceed relationally with Jesus and with people where we've ever been. And it's a joy to pray that. And as parents, when your kids come home or they're talking to you at their college or they have their own lives and they begin to express to you what God's doing in their life, doesn't that bring joy? Inexpressible? Because they're encountering the living God daily? Do we even pray that for our kids? What about praying for their spouses? Are we diligent and consistent when our kids are little? That God places the right person in their life that is so on fire and in love with Jesus that they can't resist that person and the movement of God in that and that together they make a kingdom difference. My parents started praying for my wife when I was in the first grade. Thank heavens, I'd be in trouble. How are we doing in this area? Always on our mouths, always talking about the Lord, being a running consistent theme. And then verses 8 and 9, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. Another way to put it, big box on your arm, big box on your forehead. Now, literally, he was not saying walking around with, with this idea of this 6, 4 to 9 on your forehead and on your arm all the time. Obviously, that would be a big distraction. What he was saying is the word should so penetrate your life and heart that you're just flowing out of it. That when people see you, they don't see a box on your head or a box on the forehead. They see the reality of Jesus in your life. This, of course, them engaging the living God, that they would see God in their lives. These people groups who didn't know God. For us, it's the same. There are some really good verses. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 15. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. How long has it been since someone's asked you what's different about you? If we are truly being, as these verses call us to, the very aroma of Jesus, the scent of Jesus, for followers of Jesus, we should be a significant and a huge encouragement. For the lost, they should see something so radically different in our lives from their own that they ask the question, what is different about you? And in that moment, we have the opportunity to do what? To share. The difference in my life is Jesus. He loved me. He saved me. He changed me. He's changing me even now. And he can do the same in your life. He loves you too. A hesed love. He loves you because he loves you, not because you earned it. And in that, this joy that comes from our lives gives us opportunity. How long has it been since someone's asked you? Yesterday? Last week, last month, last year? Ever? If it's never, or if it's rare, this may be a good opportunity for you to evaluate where your life really is, where your joy level is, if you even know them at all. We realize our home is not here, right? It's temporary. 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, temporary. Eternity is coming. 
And God promises for those who surrender their lives to him that we get eternity with him forever in heaven. This is short. Almost 50. Where have the years gone? For those of you who are older, you know what I'm talking about. Our life is short. We're called to make a kingdom difference and we're called to love God in obedience and surrender to the Holy Spirit as he leads us in joy. How long has it been since you've been asked? Towards the end of that, write them on your doorpost. Not a bad suggestion. Having scripture in prominent places in our home is important. As we're going and coming, it reminds us relationally of God. And it's a testimony and testament to him. So what about your home? What about your walls? So practically, what does this mean for us? What is the day-to-day importance of this scripture passage? Well, first and foremost, the question is, how is your life being transformed into the likeness of Jesus? How are you actually encountering and experiencing the living God day in, day out? If this is your only experience in coming to church on a Sunday morning and the rest of the week you're blowing God off, you're not hearing his voice, you're not spending time with him in his word, you're not spending time in prayer, you're not going through the disciplines, you're not fasting, you're not getting in your prayer closet, you're never sharing your faith. You're keeping it as a little gift in a package for yourself. If that's a description of your life, God has better for you than that. Not just daily experiencing God, moment by moment, walking with him. His being as close to our hearts and our lives as sitting next to us in the seat, just like the person is sitting next to you in your seat. The reality of God in your life can be that, is it? It's critical for us to remember what our call is. First and foremost, commitment and love relationship with Jesus. Second, with people. It goes way beyond emotion. Emotion is a part of it. But it is a decision of our mind and our will to love God and to prioritize him and to place him first. 20 years of marriage, my wife will tell you her commitment to me has been and better continue to be way above emotion uh, because I blow it all the time. Those of you who are married, you get it. Our love relationship with our spouse goes way beyond what happened when we were in our premarital counseling. For better or for worse, holy moly, how in the world do we ever say that? It's the truth. Good times and bad times. Challenging times and joyous times. All of it in between. If our relationship was based on emotion, we would all fail. And some of us at points have And the awesome thing about God in the midst of that is that he restores fully. He still brings good things into our lives. One of the worst things we could say to someone who has walked through that or is walking through that is this is God's judgment in your life, man, woman. And you're never recovering from this. Who's that? That's the enemy. That's Satan directly speaking into your life. So here's the question on the day-to-day. God calls us to freedom, doesn't he? As followers of Jesus, right? He calls us to freedom. 
If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and forgives us and purifies us from all unrighteousness. He promises forgiveness as far as the east is from the west. He removes that sin from us. He promises us to be restored in him. Do we really believe that? Many in this room today, right now, right where you're seated, are crippled in your minds and hearts. Because you've believed lies about God and about yourself. Hesed, love. He loves you because he loves you. Do we get that? He doesn't want us to wallow in self-pity or be depressed and crunched up in a corner. He wants us to experience joy and life in him that's never ending. Now, it's not saying challenges aren't coming. Come on. We've lived through much, too much life to know there are burdens and heartaches and challenges and hard things coming. We know we're going to be persecuted if we really follow him. We know the enemy is absolutely going to try to do what he promises in John 10, 10, to steal and kill and destroy our very lives. Many of you today are crippled where you are because you believe the lies that the enemy's told you and you're chained and shackled. I can never know God. How can that God love me? Look at my past. Look at my present. Look at my future. How can he love me? I'm a waste of space. But the truth of God's word, in spite of yourself, in spite of myself, he loves you. And he wants joy and fulfillment in your life like you've never experienced. Will you call out to him? Claim the truth? Hesed, love. Second, big picture. What difference does this passage make in our lives? Well, there are warnings, if you'll read Deuteronomy chapter 3 all the way through 8 at some point. You will see multiple warnings that God gave to his people. The first, the warning of pride, self-reliance. That is our bend, right? We like to be self-reliant. We, we like to own our own stuff, to own our lives, to control it, to sit as the king and queen on it, make our own decisions. In so doing, inflating our own minds and hearts. In essence, living like we really don't need God. We've got this thing under control. That's all of us. The first warning, if we don't truly obey God's word, love him from the depths of our lives, making him our all, we're going to bend that way. What's another way that we're going to bend? Well, beyond self-reliance is that little trap of frustration, acting out displaying and showing how our hearts are really placed. Knowing the answer to the question, who really has your heart? Ourselves. Rejecting the truths of God. 
It's another pitfall. There are multiple more as you read those sections of Scripture. We need to have caution. And we need to realize that we're in a spiritual battle. The big picture is God has put us here on purpose. Individually, God has put you here on purpose to make a kingdom difference for him. To know him, to love him, to walk with him, to die to self, to allow him to totally encompass your life, mine, and to make a difference. How's your big picture? Can you see what he has for your life isn't just your life? Who we are and what we do makes a difference. Are you the actual aroma of Jesus to the dying? Are you the aroma of Jesus to followers? Who has your heart? Truly only each one of us can come to grips with that. But God is for you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And if you know him, he wants you to continue walking to know him more as he continues to transform your life more like himself. And if you don't know him and you don't have a relationship with him, listen, the reason you are here today, the reason you are in this room is because he wants you to cry out to him and surrender your life today. If you are lost, this is your day to cry out to him. You don't have to understand all of it. Forget the past. He loves you in spite of. Will you cry out to him today? Will you consider God again? For some of you, this may be the last shot. You may have said before walking in the door, this is it. Something doesn't happen in my life today. I'm done with this whole church thing. It's, that's it. God is speaking to you right now, and he's telling you that he loves you. And you're not experiencing things that he wants you to experience relationally with him. If you will just release the shackles. He's called you to a life of joy. Will you respond to him this morning? Let's pray together.